Good morning, I'm Kevin Taylor and this is the podcast for Elam Church Pewbush. So uh, people are tricky creatures, aren't they? Um, we can be really deeply engrossed in our own selves often, uh, but we also recognise that there is something mysterious and wider than ourselves, something called the uh, common good which we can also acknowledge. Um, over the years there have been many different systems uh, designed and thought up to properly govern uh, groups of such complicated beings. Here in the UK um, we have a parliamentary democracy. Uh, those who are eligible to vote um, in a geographical uh, region uh, come together um, and they elect a person uh, to go and represent them in the Houses of Parliament. Um, and so the majority um, select someone and that individual uh, uh, becomes their MP and they toddle off to London um, with every ambition of uh, making a difference. Uh, there is the expectation that that uh, Member of Parliament will listen to their own conscience as to what is right is wrong and, and they're also supposed to take um, uh, feedback from their constituents so that they make good decisions uh, with in alignment with sort of uh, morality and, and fiscal sense um, and in the proposals that are made and in the ratification of laws um, all these things the, the the MP is expected to uh, um, convey their own values and, and that they got uh, elected on and those of the constituents around them. Now uh, when these representatives make objectionable choices, ones that perhaps don't uh, coincide with the, the, the values of, of their uh, electorate, um, it's appropriate and democratic to respond, to, to let that person know who's supposed to be representing you um, that you are dissatisfied. And, and, and this happens in a variety of different ways uh, in the UK. Um, you can uh, write a letter. I've certainly written to a my MP over the years with uh, with um, different objections to to ways they've been uh, voting and presenting themselves as personal interaction they often hold uh, s what's called surgeries where you can go and visit them and uh, petition them for for different things and most conspicuously um, there we can get together collectively and we can uh, have a, a public um, demonstration or, of power and popularity and that's often done through marching through the streets and, and uh, this is often focused on London where the, the, the seats of uh, uh, Parliament are um, and roads can be taken over and then police escorts and you have protest songs uh, uh, that are sung some of the uh, 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 the great songs of the last few decades have been songs that are detailing things that are wrong with uh, government. Uh, you can have witty banners uh, waved in the air which uh, capture the imagination and uh, uh, are shown at news at 10 and there's this strong conviction that permeates the whole crowd as they as they move forward, possibly converge on a, a central point like Trafalgar Square or something um, that they are marching together, they're going to make a difference, that Parliament's going to listen up. In my own lifetime I've seen uh, discontented people come together and publicly protest in large numbers against all sorts of things. There was the uh, poll tax and the Iraq war, uh, the protest against student tuition fees, uh, there's been climate change and how that hasn't been taken into account and uh, perhaps most recently, most uh, popularly, um, 
for and against Brexit. However, over the last few weeks, you may have noticed MPs have put into legislation rules that seem to uh, completely do away with one of the essences of our democracy. Uh, they've done away with civil liberty in a way that I have never seen before. It is uh, uh, unparalleled in my lifetime. People are legally confined to their houses. They're forbidden from work and only a very few exceptions are allowed out. Um, the roads are clear, businesses have been shut down and, and people are languishing at home. But there have been no protests and there's certainly been no riots. Um, these would have been expected if, if these same measures were taken just six months ago. If the same government had made the same decisions a few months back, all uh, uh, there would be all sorts of cry out against it. But now we've meekly taken it. And and the thing is, the, the politically engaged and, and even the wider public, they've recognised that this common good has come into practice and, and that public health is an immediate need and that that has transcended for the moment conventional considerations of civil liberty and e even our own uh, um, self-determination has been sort of suspended in the wake of COVID-19, this coronavirus. Now in ancient, uh, the ancient Republic of Rome, this reality was actually very familiar. It was uh, something that came uh, again and again and it was regularly part of life that civil liberty would be uh, suspended uh, repeatedly. Uh, the Republic, especially in its early years, was uh, threatened uh, by often outside forces and, and war and uh, Praetor Maximus uh, would be chosen. Um, a, a magistrate would be uh, selected to be um, a dictator now, in, in modern English language, dictator is seen as a, a negative accusation which is used pejoratively against uh, 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 people. But originally, in, in the Republic of Rome, it was seen as a logical, civil and political necessity. It was something that was important for society to function properly under undue pressure. Now, in some ways, our current Prime Minister has become the temporary Roman Praetor Maximus, or dictator to us today. Um, whether you like him or loathe him, he is the one um, that has uh, uh, taken on this role where um, other people's rights have been suspended um, and he has to make all sorts of critical decisions. And, and this movement uh, for Boris Johnson to be um, this old-style dictator is widely seen as appropriate and proportionate. Indeed, this same um, series of decisions is being replicated around the world. You see, people know there are moments in history when it is best for one person with the best information and resources invested in them to act decisively on behalf of and for the rest of that people. And this morning I want to show that this current political reality, unthinkable six months ago, but now replicated throughout the world, this Praetor Maximus is actually also a spiritual truth. Now, after the people of Israel are being delivered from that oppression and slavery and abuse of uh, Egyptian rule, um, they encountered their saviour, their god, um, Yahweh, 
uh, with a, a, a new degree of knowledge and intimacy at Mount Sinai, where the, where the law was given. Most obviously, they got treated to um, a magnificent demonstration of, of God's power and sovereignty. And you had the lightning and the thunder and the clouds and the smoke and the earthquake. Uh, these uh, things obviously impressed upon them, uh, their Lord. Um, but it was also there that the nature of their relationship with their God began to be clearly described. His power was unquestionable, but the uh, um, the ways their relationship would be governed needed uh, uh, to be clarified. And many of us will be already familiar with probably the Ten Commandments. And these are a great summary of God's perfect will for his people um, and things that are healthy for them and, and, and things that are going to be damaging. Um, if you've been following our church Bible reading plan called He Is Risen and that's available on the uh, website and our Facebook page. You'll have come across a passage a few days ago in a hard-going book called Leviticus. And um, the book of Leviticus uh, uh, can quite sensibly consider just as a continuation of the book of Exodus. It's, it is um, just a further um, explanation of, uh, of what's going on. And there's a stipulations and mechanics of, of what it means and what it looks like to be obedient to God and uh, they can seem to the outsider as uh, increasingly and uh, amusingly elaborate. The exact details can uh, sometimes be daunting but uh, moving away from the intricacies the, the main point and purpose of Leviticus is, is still the same as in Exodus. It's the this organising and clarifying of the divine human relationship, what goes into it and what should be omitted from it. And with this in mind, I want us to read her again that uh, bit from that vital bit of scripture. And it says this in Leviticus 17, uh, verse one. And I'm reading from the message translation. God spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the Israelites, tell them, this is what God commands. Any and every man who slaughters an ox or lamb or goat outside or inside the camp, instead of bringing it to the tent of meeting to offer it to God in front um, of the dwelling of God, that man is considered guilty of bloodshed. He has shed blood and must be cut off from his people. This is so the Israelites will bring to God the sacrifices that they're in the habit of sacrificing out in the open fields. They must bring them to God and the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as peace offerings to God. The priest will splash the blood on the altar of God at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat as a pleasing fragrance to God. They must no longer offer sacrifices to goat demons, a kind of religious orgy. This is a perpetual decree down through the generations. Tell them. Any Israelite or foreigner among them who offers a whole burnt offering or peace offering but doesn't bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to God, that person must be cut off from his people. Continues in verse 10. If any Israelite or foreigner living among them eats blood, I will disown that person and cut him off from his people, for the life of an animal is in the blood. 
I have provided the blood for you to make atonement for your lives on the altar. It is the blood, the life, that makes the atonement. That's why I tell the people of Israel, don't eat blood. The same goes for the foreigner who lives among you. Don't eat blood. Any and every Israelite, this also goes to the foreigners, who hunts down an animal or bird that is edible must bleed it and cover the blood with dirt because the life of every animal is its blood. The blood is its life. That's why I tell the Israelites, don't eat the blood of any animal because the life of every animal is its blood. Anyone who eats the blood must be cut off. Verse 15. Anyone, whether native or foreigner, who eats from an animal that is found dead or mauled, must wash his clothes and bathe in water. He remains unclean until evening and is then clean. If he doesn't wash or bathe his body, he'll be held responsible for his actions. At first glance, this collection of sentences sounds very foreign. Why preoccupied with sort of raw steaks and um, rare uh, uh, meat joints? Uh, they, the, the, the words don't compute well, but when we break it down, we get a glimpse into ancient life. We get a glimpse into God's values, and we also get a glimpse into our condition. For a start... It seems there was widespread recognition throughout uh, the different cultures of the time that humanity fell short um, of some divine rule, that there was some inadequacy before uh, uh, divinity. And um, this inadequacy kind of needed resolution, needed work. There, there was something that needed to be done to bridge the gap. Uh, between mortal man and the gods and, it, and it's funny how this is replicated not just in the sort of Middle East at the time but in, in lots of ancient religions where um, there was a uh, consciousness of God and there was a feeling of somehow falling short of him and, and that there needed to be made up something now a popular method um, in, in the time of uh, ancient Israel was to sacrifice an animal and this sacrifice acted in an appeasement or atonement for the uh, uh, person doing the sacrificing uh, uh, where the animal kind of uh, took the place of the person uh, uh, killing the animal and so animals were killed uh, for this purpose uh, regularly to a variety of competing gods. Uh, uh, the, the message translation uh, talks about a, a goat demon and, and as being one of the um, other gods of the time. And we find God kind of sanctifies this activity that they see in other cultures for Israel and says, you are to do this, but you are to do it differently. And, and so Moses comes and says, you know, we will act like this, this has truth in it but all the common practices that we see in other cultures and religions they are prohibited to us and so animal sacrifice is to happen um, within the Israelite religion in their faithful following of God um, and that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob recognizes this sacrifice as legitimate however this sacrifice uh, had to be very specifically brought to 
where uh, Yahweh was recognized as uh, 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 significantly dwelling. And it wasn't to be directed elsewhere. You couldn't hedge your bets by sacrificing uh, uh, to other gods of other cultures. And we find that it wasn't just invalid sacrificing elsewhere, but it was actually wrong. And these things that the sort of Leviticus spells out is not something that would have been a, 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 a immediately comprehended. And, and so God sort of helpfully says, you can do this, but you can't do that. And in fact, that thing which you didn't think was a big deal was actually wrong. And so as the chapter continues, we're treated to some details that puts a whole new spin on things. You see, this idea of sacrifice is elaborated upon, and this pagan reality of sacrifice is not just being tolerated by Yahweh, but it's shown to have a profound spiritual dimension. Sacrifice is not just uh, sort of mechanics, but it, it is a spiritual reality that must be honoured and, and uh, seen as different of other activities. And there is this uh, profound connection between the blood of a creature and a creature's life. Now, in a biological sense, we can hopefully all immediately understand this. You know, um, an animal with blood can live. And if you take all the blood out of an animal, the oxygen can't get round um, and the, the animal dies. And, and so in a biological sense, um, it, it's very easy to take on board. But um, with sacrifice, um, the blood and life of the one creature is taken. And this, when taken, takes the place of the offerer so that their blood isn't forfeit, so their life isn't forfeit. And so we find one taking place of the other. And this exchange is so crucial and critical for Yahweh's connection with his people. This is so paramount to um, this uh, religion that the Israelites aren't to treat sacrifice or blood lightly. These aren't things to be flippant about. And so we have this spiritual reality that sacrifice has significance. And it means that they need to treat animals, uh, sacrifices and blood uh, with a degree of care and respect that all their peers in the surrounding cultures wouldn't have. Um, and, it, and it changes their daily con conduct. Their spiritual understanding of sacrifice changes how they're to deal with the creatures around them. And when thought of this um, in these paragraphs, these, this thinking on blood suddenly becomes more pertinent and meaningful. When you see what God's trying to drive at, suddenly you see that blood is not just a byproduct of the body, um, is not just a nuisance when we cut ourselves shaving. Blood is a serious matter of life and death. It has spiritual implications um, in terms of sacrifice, and it needs for the Israelites to treat it with gravity. And I want to keep this in mind um, as we move forward, because we need to um, have this high view of blood and life and sacrifice um, as we go on through the scriptures. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, Israel, um, Israel is reminded 
to lay special emphasis on three particular annual festivals. There are a lot of things to look at, a lot of things uh, to obey, but there were three particular annual festivals that had significance. And it says this in Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 in the Message Translation. Three times a year you are to hold a festival for me. Sounds good, doesn't it? Hold the spring festival of unraised bread when you eat unraised bread for seven days at the time set uh, for the month of Abib, as I commanded you. That was the month you came out of Egypt. No one should show up before me empty-handed. So you have this idea of offerings and, and sacrifice. And verse 16 goes, Hold the summer festival of harvest when you bring in the first fruits of all your work in the fields. Hold the autumn festival of ingathering at the end of the season when you bring in the year's crops. Three times a year all your males are to appear before the master, God. Don't offer the blood of a sacrifice to me with anything that has yeast in it. And you find this holiness of, of, of blood or the di differentness of blood. Don't leave the fat from my festival offering out overnight. Bring the choice first produce of the year to the house of your God. And so the Jewish annual calendar is dominated by these three pilgrimage feasts as mentioned in uh, Exodus chapter 23. The first is uh, Shavuot, this Feast of Weeks, um, and that was related to the, the wheat harvest and the giving of the law at Sinai. Uh, then there was the Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, and this remembered that great escape uh, uh, from Egypt when they had to kind of live in tents, and uh, uh, that was the uh, commemoration there. And thirdly and finally, there is Passover, when... Uh, God judges Egypt but saves Israel's firstborn sons. And that was a pivotal moment when uh, uh, the, the Pharaoh decided to let God's people go and uh, uh, worship their own God beyond uh, Egypt's borders and, and, and outside of the, the bondage of slavery. And each and every pilgrimage we find in the text in Exodus 23 was to involve sacrifice. And again, there is a very specific mention that the blood was pivotal and it should be treated as such. It was to be treated with gravity and respect and honour. Um, it, it wasn't a needless part of the sacrificial event. And so hopefully we can see this ancient Israelite religious practice, this idea of sacrifice, the uh, vitality of blood in that process uh, and how... Um, it was part of Israel's understanding uh, of their interactions with God himself. Now, taking these things into account, I think they transform the next passage we're going to look at because it makes the words weightier with this long history of religious observance, of sacrifice, of careful uh, custody of blood. Um, and it's suddenly not to be something just to be trotted out at Easter meetings, but, but something to uh, drive home the significance of. So it says this in Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 7. Again, in the message uh, translation, I like to sort of shake it up and, and read from this. And it says this. 
the day of unleavened bread. Remember that from Exodus 23? The day the Passover lamb was butchered. Jesus sent Peter and John off saying, go prepare the Passover for us so we can eat it together. And they said to him, where do you want us to do this? And he said, keep your eyes open as you enter the city and a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him home, then speak with the owner of the house. The teacher wants to know where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples. He will show you a spacious second story room, swept and ready prepare the meal there and so they left and they found everything just as he told them and prepared the Passover meal when it was time he sat down all the apostles were with him and he said you've no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering it's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God and you can hear can't you um, Jesus very much uh, uh, part of this ancient practice of celebrating among these pilgrimage feasts particularly in this case the Passover and taking the cup he blessed it and said take this and pass it among you as for me I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives and then in verse 19 he taking the bread he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body given for you eat it in my memory and in verse 20 it says he does the same with the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant this new arrangement this new agreement this new codified relationship um, that sort of uh, was sort of began at Mount Sinai written and listen to this written in my blood blood poured out for you and so we find Jesus and his disciples committed as good Jews of the time to observe this Passover with the rest of the community. And there is that beginning um, of the text that mentions this butchering and sacrificing of the Passover lamb, recalling exactly what we read in Leviticus uh, about being sacrifices being a legitimate part of the relationship with God and them uh, uh, being a, a pointer to uh, uh, atonement um, and it, it's again that reminder that in these texts of scripture there is this uh, great value uh, um, given to animal sacrifice atonement and blood they may be foreign to us but they weren't foreign to Jesus and his people and so this group of men are already saturated in the significance of these things. They know that blood is something to be treated with gravity. And they know uh, that sacrifice is a means of uh, being made right with God. And then Jesus takes all of this and he changes up a gear. He takes it up a notch. Um, and the conversation and the patterns they look at um, are suddenly transformed and he says um, that a direct comparison can be made between himself and the sacrificial lamb this Passover lamb that was butchered for the uh, save, saving of the people whose doorways it was painted on and Jesus prophesied that his body like the lamb would be killed and we find this very clear articulation about his blood 
his blood would be given up and it's very clear that he's saying my life will be given up it is not uh, uh, an accidental uh, shedding of blood it is not a nuisance a stain but it is his life being poured out his blood being poured out and the the two uh, uh, words are, are virtually synonymous and this violence we find it's not for himself it is not a uh, punishment that he's deserved but like that animal in the old testament like the passover lamb that is killed each year um in the sort of in the temple um at passover every animal uh sacrifice uh that lost its life through its blood that would be like jesus his loss his bleeding the uh taking away or giving up of his life would mean the gain of life for his followers and that is why the blood of jesus becomes so precious in the text because his blood is his life and the two are the uh, uh can be used interchangeably again and again and we may be uncomfortable with the idea of animal sacrifice we probably don't even haven't even seen the uh animals that we do eat uh killed and, and we have a very sanitized 21st culture because sort of uh, um uh modern ways of of killing animals can be quite uh, gruesome but this visceral exchange is something that can be found throughout uh, scripture and it's this divine continuity from the old testament to the new testament it's all about blood in the old testament it was the blood of sacrifices and then in the new testament it's the blood of jesus the supreme sacrifice and god has planned it all along these words of blood and sacrifice and clean animals are not an accident or an inconvenience they're not a problem to explain away but they are an intricate part part of a wider plan jesus's act of sacrifice on the cross was part of a glorious divine plot that reached back many many centuries even millennia before it ever came to fruition it wasn't god's um quick plan of salvation on the back um, of an envelope because he didn't know what was going to happen it's this epic nature of salvation that was in place before anyone imagined it was necessary and this continuity in scripture should draw us in and it should encourage us to find jesus on every page of the old testament because it all points to him and it should draw us in to look more closely at God's great scheme of redemption and keep finding Jesus and what he was going to do in the annals of the Old Testament. And I wonder whether the very nature of life, blood and death, all these things we see around us, we take for granted, but perhaps don't think upon, perhaps all of this, perhaps the very veins in our body are there because of uh, the architecture of this salvation plan now next week um, strange as it may seem in our uh, time of self-isolation christians around the world remember resurrection sunday i'm trying to avoid uh, the word easter because it doesn't have the sort of uh, christian origins as some of the other words and 
but we look forward to Resurrection Sunday when Jesus rises again. But before he rises again, we have to remember his death because his death must be given its due. There is this moment that the sacrifice is made, that the blood is shed, that atonement is accomplished through uh, Jesus' execution and for the giving up of his life and the giving up of his blood. The whole of the Old Testament and Jesus' own life points to this inevitability. Something will be done uh, 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 as an end to the uh, uh, forever sacrificing that the Israelites seem to be bound to. An end would be made when a sacrifice uh, would come that would clear everyone's uh, debts. And it seems good now to refer to another reading from our church uh, reading scheme. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And uh, uh, there's some great phrases that uh, almost demand sermons in their own. Um, and it says this. The old plan was only a hint of the good things in the new plan. And we're talking about the Old Testament uh, uh, giving us whispers of what will happen. Since the old law plan wasn't complete in itself, it couldn't complete those who followed it. No matter how many sacrifices were offered year after year, they never added up to a complete solution. If they had, the worshippers would have gone merrily on their way, no longer dragged down by their sins. But instead of removing awareness of sin, when those animal sacrifices were repeated over and over, they actually heightened awareness and guilt. The plain fact is that bull and goat blood can't get rid of sin. This is what is meant by this prophecy put in the mouth of Christ. You don't want sacrifices and offerings year after year. You've prepared a body for me for a sacrifice. It's not fragrance and smoke from the altar that wet your appetite. So I said, I'm here to do your way, O God, the way it's described in your book. When he said you don't want sacrifices and offerings, he was referring to practices um, according to the old plan. The Old Testament, we would say. Um, when he added, I'm here to do your way, he set aside the first in order to enact the new plan, God's way, by which we are made fit for God by the once and all sacrifice of Jesus. Then in verse 11, every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifices year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Jesus made a sacri single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled on stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it out on the lining of their hearts. And he concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no need any uh, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. So friends, we can now without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place Jesus cleared the way by his blood of sacrifice there's those terms again 
acting as our priest before God, the curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Friends, today I invite us all to reflect again on the mechanics of our salvation. Our inadequacies are not made up by great moral behaviour or perfect religious observance. That would be very tiring and would also uh, end up with no good thing. We don't fear whether we come out well in God's mysterious annual appraisals. We don't worry whether he thinks we're in or out. Why? Not because we're good at praying. Not because we're subscribed to Eden Church's podcast. Not because we look at the uh, He Is Risen uh, Bible plan. It's not because um, we've managed to sort of keep our moral compass when we're hidden indoors inside. Instead, we confidently trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus, in that life given up of Jesus. For his giving up of himself means that we get his life, um, that life of vibrant eternity, and our failures, our omissions, our inadequacies are killed. And there's that exchange that they knew about in the Old Testament. We get the benefit of one and they get the uh, punishment of the other. Because the life of an animal is in its blood, we can boldly walk into God's presence in prayer, meditation, scripture reading, worship and fellowshipping, times permitting. We can walk into God's presence because Jesus gave up his life, he shed his blood and that blood is his life. Now we've been compelled to not physically meet for a moment and it is only a moment in the grand scheme of things. This will be sort of a, a brief few months of hardship and difficulty. But the spiritual reality of our redemption endures. It goes on. It, uh, if you look ahead of you, uh, there is no point at which it exhausts or ends. And so this Sunday, I encourage us all, with the writer of the Hebrews, to, to get a grip of this, to allow it to nourish us, for this belief in Jesus' sacrifice, to, to allow this belief in Jesus' blood being shed, to allow the knowledge of his life being given up, to change how we see things, how we see our behaviour, how we see our relationship with God, and how we see our relationship with each other. Not only um, do we allow this reality um, to spur us on in our personal spiritual lives, but we're to work out this blood-filled salvation. Um, and the message translation talks about being inventive in love, and and that is a fascinating 
challenge. I never thought I would be relegated to speaking into a mic uh, in my study um, to do Sunday mornings. But we have to be inventive, especially in these times which stop us meeting physically. Um, and we can all find that call incredibly challenging. Don't just uh, reduce your life to subsisting because you are locked indoors. Don't think you only have to think of you and yours, but consider the wider fellowship. Consider the wider population. Um, consider that Jesus' love compels us. Jesus' blood compels us. There may be many restrictions in place as to what we can do about being inventive in love. But our Saviour's blood still calls us to remain undeterred and work forward. And so we meet by this bizarre app called Zoom, which I'd never encountered a month ago. Uh, we give uh, through sort of Amazon vouchers, which we'll do with the, the quiz on uh, Good Friday at 11 and the details are on our website and uh, on our Facebook page. And we encourage each other by uh, scripture references through texts and WhatsApp and, and Facebook and any other uh, um, means of communication we can. Um, and so as the UK is voluntary ruled by an imperfect Praetor Maximus, as Boris Johnson is the uh, dictator who uh, makes difficult decisions. Let's trust in and show the world at large that there's a creator Maximus in heaven whose words are kind, whose deeds are perfect, whose motives are pure and generous and who gives eternal life freely to all those that would trust in him and his shed blood as we uh, close on Palm Sunday but I've kind of made a uh, a reflection on Jesus's death uh, let me close in prayer Heavenly Father we read the word that you have preserved for so many years and we take on board the importance of sacrifice, of blood, of atonement. And we see it in the way Jesus ended um, his life on that cross. And we find in him the perfect sacrifice that makes up for something that we could never do. God, we thank you that his blood his life being given up means that we can live, that his blood cleanses us, that his blood um, atones for our sins, that we are made right with God and we can come into your presence, Heavenly Father, with the confidence born of who that sacrifice was. And Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this, as we again allow it to... Uh, nourish our spirits. God, I pray that we would be good at spurring ourselves on in this faith and this difficult time and also finding inventive ways to express love to each other in the fellowship and uh, to the wider community. Heavenly Father, we recognize 
that you haven't saved us just to go up to heaven immediately but to make an impact and heavenly father i pray that we would be good at reaching out in new ways um, to lead people to the place where they too can trust in jesus as their savior where his blood too will cover their sins and make them alive again lord god i pray this in jesus name amen